today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. attention to that. Don't be swayed by that. Don't be caught up by that culture because that's suddenly going to mean nothing in the day of judgment. And if you love money, you can't love God. Now you can have nothing and still love money. You could have a lot of money and not love it. How James is telling us is be careful that we don't make the world stand as our standards. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our heads and feet The world certainly has a different set of standards than what we are taught in the Bible. Their standards tend to result in self-centeredness and self-indulgence. The world definitely holds an appeal with its opportunity for wealth and status. But those things simply don't last. The Bible offers a little different way of life, as Pastor Ed shares with us today. The Bible's standards result in blessing multitudes of people and allowing God's love to permeate the earth. The perks are always lasting, all the way to eternity. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. James chapter 5. Now, if I wasn't in a series, I wouldn't normally preach on this passage of Scripture. But when you're preaching series, you preach passages of Scripture that sometimes you normally wouldn't preach. I want to preface the message, and please remember what I'm going to say here. God is not against riches or wealth. In the Bible, there are many rich people. Abraham was blessed abundantly of the Lord. David was blessed. In the New Testament, men like Barnabas, a generous man, were blessed. And it's been my joy over the years to know Christians in the church who have been blessed by God financially. And they are some of the most generous people you ever meet in the world. James, in chapter 5 is standing in the midst of the church, as it were, and he is not necessarily directing his message to the church directly, more indirectly. Because he looks to the rich landowners, the wealthy who oppressed the poor. And in this portion of Scripture, there's no call for repentance. Just mourn, wail, weep. He's like an Old Testament prophet stepping out of the pages of the Old Testament, giving a prophetic warning so that the people of God would be encouraged and instructed not to be envious of the world. James chapter 5, beginning to read with verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail Because of the misery that is coming upon you, your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, 
The wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Strong words meant to wake the church, meant to warn believers, meant to be prophetic of a coming day of judgment that the wealthy who have made God their money will face. The title of the sermon is The Love of Money. The Love of Money. The NIV begins verse 1. Now listen. He wants their attention. He wants them to wake up out of their sleep. I've been told that if an airline is going to crash, if a plane is going to crash, they will announce, brace yourselves. Well, that's what James is doing. He's looking into the prophetic future, into a day of judgment, and he's telling these people who have ignored God, who have made God their money, who have worshipped at the shrine of materialism, Brace yourself for a coming judgment. John Piper pictured an airplane flight. He said, picture 269 people entering eternity on a plane crash in the Sea of Japan. Before the crash, there is a noted politician, a millionaire, a corporate executive, a playboy, and his playmate, a missionary kid on the way back from visiting grandparents. After the crash, they stand before God utterly stripped of MasterCards, checkbooks, credit lines, image clothes, how to succeed books, and Hilton reservations. Here are the politicians, the executive, the millionaire, the playboy, the missionary kid, all on level ground with absolutely nothing in their hands, possessing only what they brought in their hearts. How ridiculous it would be in that moment to trust in money. James implies in this passage that the love of money separates us from God. The love of money destroys our relationship to God. Jesus said as much that. Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. Or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You go past the aisles in the grocery store, and there are all the tabloids with all the gossip about the people who have made it, the millionaires and the billionaires and the movie stars, life of the rich and famous. It just captures 
our attention as it did that New Testament church. And what James is telling us is don't pay attention to that. Don't be swayed by that. Don't be caught up by that culture because that's suddenly going to mean nothing in the day of judgment. And if you love money, you can't love God. Now you can have nothing and still love money. You could have a lot of money and not love it. What James is telling us is be careful that we don't make the world stand as our standards. The great temptation that money brings into our lives is that it could give us our significance. We can count our worth by our net worth. And you never count your worth by your net worth. The money you have in your 401 or 403, the money that you have in savings, the car that you drive, the equity in your home, on and on. What he says is significance should not be added up by what you possess. In Luke 12, 15, it reads, when Jesus is speaking, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much We own real life. It's not measured by your status, by your pocketbook, by your wallet, by your purse. It's not measured by the things of this world. In Psalm 139, David looks at his life and he realizes that there is purpose to his life. Because he has found God's purpose in his life. In Psalm 139, 16, it says this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He looked at his life. He measured his life. And he recognized before one single day had passed, before he would breathe his first breath, God had a plan for him. God had a purpose in his life. And he gained his esteem, his sense of value by knowing God's purpose and plan for him. The book, The Purpose Driven Life, was authored by Rick Warren. He authored two books, many other books, but two especially, The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. Those books have sold over 26 million copies. They have made him a very wealthy man. When all that wealth became available to him and pouring into his home, he made five decisions. Listen to the decisions he made. They did not upgrade their lifestyle. They stopped taking a paycheck from the church. Number three, they repaid 25 years of salary back to the church. He was that founding pastor. They created three charitable foundations. And then he developed a principle of reverse tithing for his life. He decided to live on the 10% and give God the 90%. He also became burdened for Africa and the great problem of HIV. He started a program called Peace. That's an acronym for plant new churches or partner with existing ones, equip leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick, educate the next generation. He's been called to a worldwide ministry. 
See, God blesses us, but we don't get our significance from what we possess, from the blessing. We get our significance from our relationship to God, from knowing that we are loved by God and that He is our Heavenly Father and we are His children. You know what society does? It encourages us to go in an upward direction. Karl Barth said, by upward direction I mean striving for things like better salaries and more prestigious positions. The downward pull that compassion refers to is what Jesus' life reflected. Instead of striving for a higher position, more power and more influence, Jesus moves from the heights to the depths, from victory to defeat, from riches to poverty, from triumphs to suffering, from life to death. God moved down and embraced our poverty. He moved down so that we could move up. Our significance must not be based on the acquisition of goods. What James is saying is that the love of money will separate you. It will destroy your love for God. And when you begin to love money more than you love God, your significance comes from your possessions rather than the fact that you are created in the image and likeness of God. And there is a big difference. Now, there's something else that happens when a person loves money rather than loving God. We're all built with a need for security. We need that sense of safety, security. And what happens is when you love money, you begin to put your trust in money. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it reads, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. What can happen is we could begin trusting in our plans, in our wealth, instead of in our God. Now, we ought to plan. We ought to plan for our future. We ought to plan to be able to help our children. That ought to be something that we do instinctively and intuitively. God made us like that. But don't hoard. Don't be extravagant. Don't be unreasonable. See, God is going to bring every work into judgment. And we have to be careful how we live in this present world. In Psalm 20, verse 7 says... Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We know that there could be a turn in the stock market, and suddenly there can be a crash. There could be a reversal in the value of real estate. Suddenly things can change in our nation, where inflation eats away all of those savings. And everything we put our trust in can suddenly be gone. Only trust placed in God is properly placed. Oftentimes people use wealth and riches as a cushion. And that cushion keeps them from hearing God. I know that it's not easy. We live in a culture where we're constantly bombarded. Constantly, almost attacked with advertisement that what we have 
is who we are. Listen to what James says in chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, what he's doing is he's talking about the forms of wealth. Your wealth has rotted. He's talking about grain, seeds. He's saying, you've stored in barns, and you've stored in silos, and you've stored in granaries, and that's going to decay. You've stored clothing, and in that day, clothing was a form of wealth. They would pass down garments from one generation to another. It was a form of riches, And when they wanted to display their wealth, they would wear their garments. He says, they've been eaten by moths. They'll be destroyed. And then he says, your silver and gold has corroded. We know that silver and gold can't corrode. But what he's saying, it's worthless. It's like rusty steel. It won't matter. When we stand before God... None of the things that matter in this world and this world system really will matter to God. It's only what we do for Christ really that lasts. It's only what we do for the kingdom of God that has eternal value. We have to stop thinking of this present world as our final destination, as our home. We have to start as Pentecostal Christians, as charismatic Christians, to think about our eternal home. See, this is only where we're passing through. It's only a place where we're journeying. We have a final destination, and that's heaven. And we ought to be thinking, Lord, I want treasures in heaven. I want to win souls for you, God. I want to give to you. I want to build treasure in the kingdom to come. That should be the passion that we have and the burden that we have in our lives. Amen? So many sell out God for money. In the Old Testament, In Joshua chapter 7, Achan sold out Israel for some garments and for a wedge of gold, and they experienced defeat. Balaam sold his gift of prophecy. He would try and prophesy against Israel for a price. Gehazi lied to Naaman and then Elijah the prophet for some money, for some wealth. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Judas sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And there are still people selling God out. They're buying into the world system. They're loving money rather than loving God. In Paul Greener's Burma diary, he detailed a situation that reminds me of the final day of judgment. He said, refugees streamed from Burma to India during the Second World War. And as they were leaving Burma and going to India, they discarded their gold and their silver and their money. And they exchanged it for some food because they knew they would never survive without the food. They would survive without the money. And they saw the value of that Gold and silver and those possessions as worthless. How many people in the day of death would give all their money for a few more months or years of life? When we stand before God, the things that we have held on to this world will be seen in their true light. We're to use them as stewards. Now we've looked how the love of money can affect us. It 
can give us our significance rather than our relationship to God. It can also be a means of security rather than recognizing our security is in God and God alone. The love of money does something else. The love of money will devastate the needy. When we love money, we will devastate the needy. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 24, 14 to 15. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord. That was the economic system in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament times. People lived on what they received from day to day. So they would work in the harvest field, and at the end of the day, they'd receive their wages, and they would go home, and they would buy tomorrow's food. And what the harvesters were doing was keeping the money back. Say, listen, we'll pay you at the end of the week or the end of the season. And James is railing out against them in judgment. Now, how does that apply to us? How should we think about that? Well, I think about fraud, fraudulent, being fraudulent with money. The wages you fail to pay the workmen. You know, if you're an employer, treat your employees fairly. Now, don't always expect that they'll recognize it, but you do it as unto the Lord. Because you have to have a right conscience before God. How important it is to know what you're doing and say, Lord, I put everything before you. When I think about when we go as citizens to the polls, we ought to be concerned about the needy. We ought to be concerned about those in the inner cities. It's very difficult to break out of the cycle of poverty. It's very difficult to break out of that cycle where people have nothing. There ought to be social concerns that the church is concerned about. We ought to be involved with the concerns of others. You know, sometimes I think as I'm driving, I I like lattes, and so I may go to a Dunkin' Donuts and to get a a medium latte is $2.49. And at Starbucks, it's, I think, $3.25, you know. (laughs) But I sometimes stop and I think, Lord, help me to do more for missions because half the world lives on $2 a day. Half the world. People don't live on more than $2 a day. And I'm serious. I said, Lord, help us. As a church, I received a letter from the district office. They said that our church is in the top three in mission giving for New York State. And that's great. But, amen, we can applaud that, yeah. But I don't want to compete against any other churches. I want to just compete against our own record and just say, Lord, give us a heart for Africa. Give us a heart for South America. Give us a heart for the poor Middle East. 
See, God is looking at how we use our blessings and how we use our liberties. Not only fraudulence, but self-indulgence. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Programs like Building in Faith are wonderful. And we do know that God uses them in the lives of countless believers. We also know that just hearing God's Word is not enough. We must put into practice those things that we are learning. Pastor Ed is taking us through the book of James. We'll learn that we must be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Building in Faith. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Again, to follow Building in Faith and access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. When you visit the site, you'll only need to remember today's date. Simply click on today's date. You can listen, download, and even share this message with your friends and family via Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions, call us. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue sharing messages from the book of James. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Your word restores.